Good morning, church. Praise the Lord. Um, I am really grateful this morning for the grace of God. And um, first of all, let me tell you what we're going to uh, look at today, this morning. It's crucible means for sanctification. And if you can, open with me to the book of Proverbs. Chapter 17, verse 3, it says this. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests their hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you for this time that you have given us together. I praise you, Father, for the church body that is guarded at this time somewhere in the world, somewhere. I praise you, Father, of hosts of war, the promise that you said that you will feed us, Father, and here we are. I ask, Father, that you open the, respect, the receptors of our hearts to receive what you have in store for us. I ask, Father, that you open our ears to understand what you have in store for us. I praise you for the church body. And we join our voice together with the church in the whole world and give glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was saying that I was thankful to the congregation, to the elders, to the people, our leadership, the administration, for the grace, the opportunity to be able to stand in front of you this morning. I am thankful for that, but just a reminder that we had a series here, Redemptive Edge, Edge that we had, and uh, very recently, that was last week, we heard from our very own uh, Andre Hembrick, and he was talking about whatever happened to righteousness, so to holiness. And um, if you would like to hear more about that and many other sermons that were preached here, uh, you can go to www.providencedenver.org, and we have those sermons up there. Now, crucibles. Crucibles are means of sanctification. As we, can, as we go through life, in our lives, as we go through life, uh, we have ups and downs. We have valleys and mountains that we face. And God uses those circumstances of our lives in order to shape what we're going to be or what we're becoming. Uh, we are becoming like him, Jesus Christ. And then crucibles has its own function. It has function as it plays. Crucibles, normally what it does, it changes the shape of something, of the metal. Uh, what it does also, it takes out the dross, which is impurity. And it exposes those drosses. Now, come with me for a second, as we are going to contemplate the story of Jacob and see how God went and walked with Jacob and took all of those drafts out of him 
so that he can become, he can be given a new identity. Jacob is the son of Isaac by Rebekah. And Isaac is the son of Abraham by Sarah. And uh, when you go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, the Bible says this, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I think we heard about blessings here. (laughs) Yes, all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. This is actually the beginning of the journey of uh, Abraham. God appeared to Abraham and told him, like, I want you to leave your family, to leave your land, and go to the place. He didn't name the place. He said, the place that I will show you what kind of faith. The place that I will show you. But this appearance is not unique to Abraham. The going and to the place that I will show you, that is unique to Abraham. But the blessing, we can see that it was flowing. Because when it comes time, when we look at uh, in Genesis chapter 26, verse 3 and 4, God again appeared to somebody else. Now it is uh, Abraham's son, Isaac. And he told him exactly the same thing except move to another land. Again, when we look in Genesis 28, 10 to 22, God appears to another person whose name is Jacob. And those words are repeated. That through you, all the families of, uh, of the earth will be blessed. So, looking at that, Jacob had to leave his home. It's not like you and I normally leave our homes. You know, when we are 18 or we are like 21 or something, we kind of have to leave. Sometimes they kick us out. You have to be man, a woman. Uh, We have to leave our homes. But Jacob was not a case. He was running for his life. He was running for his life, and he was also running in a way that was not really conventional. Why do I say this? Because he was running, and he was also thinking at the same time, I need to run in a way that whoever comes after me won't find me. He had to take unconventional ways in order to get where he was going. Have you ever run for your life? When you run for your life, there, is, there are things that happen to you. When you run for your life, um, there is this psychological effect that, that, that gets you. There is anxiety when you run for your life. There is stress that comes with that. There is always watching behind. Is anybody coming after me? You are wondering. And his life, Jacob's life at this time, is totally torn apart. Nothing is clear. Nothing is clear at this point. And then, 
as the scripture would have it, then God showed up in his life. But let me tell you a little bit, how does that look like so that I can level the plane just a bit? Have you ever taken shower, hot shower, and then after taking shower, then you look to the mirror in the bathroom, what do you see? You can't see your face. You can't see your face. So nothing was clear here. And have you ever, while you're driving, turn to the sun with a dirty windshield and you go like, I can kind of make up the sign. I think the light is green. <laughs> this is a quote from uh, Walking the Dead by John Eldridge. So nothing was clear in Jacob's life at that point. But God showed up. And when we look in Psalm, Psalm 136, verse 23, it says this. He remember us in our low estates. When everything is not going well, when we reach that rock bottom, bottom, that's when God comes and he reaches us. And I know many people can testify to that. Because to our lowest point, that's when God reaches and meets, meets us in that level. But why did God show up? Why did God show up to uh, uh, Jacob? Well, I personally could pick two things out of it. God showed up to Jacob, one, for personal acquaintance, and two, first-hand encounter. Well, personal acquaintance, why is that important? Look, when Jacob was referring to the God of heaven, he would say the God of my fathers. That's what he was referring to. He would say the God of my fathers. And when we look in the scriptures, we find that after this encounter, he basically says, if God will keep me, will feed me, and will bring me again in peace back to my land, then this Lord will be my God. In your ministry, in whatever in your life, it is true that um, evangelists led us into the prayer. It is true that the word was preached and we heard, and then that's how we got saved. It is true that our circumstances, and then we came to Christ. But you always have to have this personal relationship. You have to be connected to the vine. You can't be going through mediums before you reach Christ. Bureaucracy will kill you. And that's why we always have to go and uh, look at Christ himself. In a sense, what I mean is we have to have that first, that personal acquaintance with him. We can rely on secondary uh, note. Now, account. When we look at the account, I said first, first-hand account. Well, you can ask the question, why is that important nowadays? We have revealed the word of God. Well, first of, first of all, that, that is important. It is important because when uh, you have that, that experience, it connects the theory, your uh, theoretical stuff, into practice. And the second thing is that it takes abstraction and brings it and put it into something that's concrete. Jacob, in his time, when he lived, there was not a written word of God. And as we know that the revelation about the plan that God has, it, it, it's, it's being revealed like, like a Polaroid 
picture. Basically, it's, it's becoming clearer and clearer over time. And I would think back then, when Jacob was living again, what was happening, the notion about God was passed on. Was passed on would be verbally or through practices. Right? So back then, it was passed on that way. But in our days today, you have an experience. When you get an experience, you have this written word of God that you have to compare it to. Because unless your experience that you said that God showed you, unless it follows through with what is written, then you have confusion, and God does not have confusion. So that's what I have to say about that. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) All right. Now, after Jacob left uh, that place, I mean, there are just a lot of stuff in this passage. And if we, we were to unpack everything, I can tell you we would just be here and tarry here and come with our blankets and sleep. Uh, but we are going to move on. Jacob left and he went. And when Jacob went to, on, on his journey, he went to his uncle. And for several years, he spent with his uncle. And when he spent those several years, there was this deceitfulness that this, his uncle had. You know, Jacob was, was the deceiving one. And then you have this deceitful person who deceived the deceiver. It's interesting. God can humble us in different ways. Um, so this uncle of Jacob deceived him. And then Jacob, at that point, he decided after he had his family, everything is now ready. And he heard a so familiar uh, sentence that was spoken. Jacob has taken all that our father has. What did he do? He tries to run. And this is not the first time. As you can know, he ran from his brother. And as we know also that when he ran from his brother, he was not in good terms with his brother. And he left, that relationship was broken. And then now with Laban, the relationship is at the brink of breaking. And he ran, the relationship is really at the brink of breaking. And Laban was like, I'm not staying, I'm following. And he came, he came. And when he came, God spoke to him, don't do harm to that boy. Don't touch him. Sometimes. We have this cycle in our lives that perpetuate, that goes through and through. And it takes God to step in, in order to break that cycle. And God broke that cycle. He broke the cycle by restoring relationship between Jacob and Laban. And they concluded a covenant that no one would cross this stone and to go fight another. And they were at peace. But God did not just stop at that point. He went even back to restore the relationship that Jacob had with Isaac, uh, with uh, Esau. He went even back to restore that. And uh, the relationship that he had with Laban, God restored that by reconciliation. But when we see the relationship that he had with Esau, God definitely broke the heart of uh, Jacob. He broke his heart in the sense, don't understand it like the heart is broken, but he basically put him through the crucible, and then when he came out, he was a totally different person. 
He was a totally different person. So the desire that he had before, that's not what he had. Remember when he, he was young, when he had a problem with Esau, he basically took a fleet. He ran. That's what he did. But this time around, when he's meeting Esau, there was no way of running anymore. There was no way of running. He's now mature. He's now dependent on, on God. He has children. He has family. He has livestock. He has uh, male and female servants. Looking at this, I think about employment here in our country. Um, maybe they don't say this very often, but you sometimes will hear bosses saying that they like hiring people who are responsible uh, because they don't just take off and go. <laughs> God basically brought Jacob to the level that he couldn't just run. He couldn't just run. He brought him to the level that he had to deal with his situation. But dealing with his situation, he couldn't deal with it just with his own mind. When you read in Genesis 32, verse 9 to 12, he had to surrender. He said, Esau is coming, is coming against me, but I pray that you deliver me. You see, the Jacob that left is not the Jacob that came back. The Jacob that left that day is, the, is, is not a Jacob that returned. He was pretty mature. He was a broken person, a person who relies totally in God. God does not want you to rely on anything that you have in your life. He wants you to rely on him. When you start relying on things, he will just step back and let you paddle in a circle until you are like, I can't do this, please. Now, my story. How, my, how does my story fit into this? I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, there are really nuances here. I am no Jacob. You have already realized that. <laughs> um, so, I was born in DR Congo, DRC, Republic, Democratic Republic of Congo. And my family, when I was born, was not Christian. Um, and um, I will go really quickly because I am old. And if I would go and tell you everything about me, we will sleep here. So let me just say exactly what I wanted to say. <laughs> now, so back in 2000. And four, in December, I received Christ in my life. Praise the Lord. But due to situation in my country, I had to seek for asylum elsewhere. That was in Zambia. I went there with my family together. Life in a refugee camp was not your piece of cake. Life on, in refugee camp was tough. It was tough. There was not an employer in there. Um, you had only one employer, and that was UNHCR. And when you have that monopoly, you can't bargain your wages. And we were receiving $10 per month. That was our wage. And with that $10 per month, there was also this rationing that was coming, and that rationing is meant not to make you fat. It was just enough that you survive. 
And with such a situation, I can just hear in the congregation, $10 is something you spend just in the morning when you go to Starbucks. It's wiped out. But how can a person with $10 have it for a month and make the ends meet? Little is much when God is in it. We were able to survive with that. We were able to go with that. But that was not just the only thing. We were also restricted. When we think about refugees, we think people who left their country, period. No, that's not true. Refugees, um, when we came, first of all, in Zambia, we were not just refugees. We thought we were refugees, but we were not. We were the people that they call asylum seekers. They don't have right. Little right is afforded to them. We couldn't move from the camp to go anywhere. We couldn't work outside of the camp. And we had to go through all of those troubles, trials, and tribulations. And then afterward, we decided to start a resettlement process. If you are not familiar with that, that is a process that a person who's a refugee, I actually call asylum seeker, will go through in order for him to be accepted as a refugee to another country. Because when we came here back in 2011, we were actually refugees. But we didn't know that. Because you are so kind. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. So we, we, um, we started that process. But in, in that process, there are some hoops that you have to jump. There are things that you have to do. First, we had interviews with UNHCR. That is United Nation High Commissary of Refugees. Uh, and then after that interview, then you are given this period of time of waiting. Jacob went. God said that I will bring you back. But meanwhile, there was this time that he, God was working in him. He had to wait. Sometimes when God says something, it doesn't mean it happens right now. It's pro he, he, he actually says it clear. We misunderstand. That's our problem. <laughs> so we had to wait. And we waited. And then, poof, United States accepted us. Accepted us not to come, but to go for interview. And we went for interview. Oh, goodness, you don't know USCIS. That's United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. My goodness, those guys, they know things. It's amazing. Um, they basically put you there questioning, 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 and uh, they go, they consult themselves, and, and they come back, and they say, yeah, good. You go sit, and we'll, call, we'll come back. Because we had to travel to the bigger city in order to do that interview. And then afterward, they basically um, called us when we were still in the bigger city. They called us. They were like, okay, whoever his name is, you know, listed here, you go to this side. We were thinking, yeah, if we go to that side, that means we go into United States. And then they put us on the side. And whoever his name was not called, you can go back. But those who na whose name were called, you pack your things. You're going back. It was a sad moment because we're people who were in prayer. 
Our lives, we are taught prayer. And in our lives, really, during, when, when we were in the camp, every Saturday, we will go, we will fast. We're not eating anything. We will not eat anything. We will not do anything except sing, pray, rest, sing, pray, rest, and pleading with God. And this, in the, in the front of everybody in public, we're standing there, and our names are called. You're not going. I can just see the eyes of people, even though it was saying nothing, but you can hear the voice through their eyes. What did you do? It was tough. And then we had, uh, we had to return. And what they said is, you guys have a pending. Oh, goodness. That word pending can mean two weeks, can mean one month, can mean one year, can mean a decade. It can mean never, never. So you get a pending, you're just sitting in the limbo. And you can't go ask them or push things forward. You can't do that. Do you know even their number? You have no idea. So we went back to the camp. We were not discouraged in a sense. We went again on our knees praying and seeking God. And we asked God, please help us to go. Help us to go by your grace. We're going to serve you. Truly, we're going to serve you and praise your name. I meant it. I'm standing here. <laughs> praise the Lord. But God's plan, God's plan was totally different. <laughs> you know, sometimes we cast, we cast what we think should be happening on God's will. And we are like, this is what I want. Therefore, it's God's will. No, it's not. No, it's not. We waited. We prayed. And all of a sudden, we heard that dreaded news. It didn't come from the United States, but it came from uh, UNHCR. And they basically said that this camp is closing. What that meant, let me just tell you, what that meant was something totally different. It's not like you just packing your things, going to Nevada or going to uh, Oklahoma or wherever. It's not like that. That means... Your house is broken down. You go there, you are given a piece of land, and you need to build a new house. And the rationing that we were receiving that just kept you alive but not getting fat, that also was to end when we go to the next camp. And we went to our knees. We're like, God, this is really the perfect time. You see that storm coming? We want you, please, to move us out of this. You said you would save us. This is the moment. We prayed fervently. The problem is not that you are not praying, but you, you need to seek what is God's will. We pray we don't receive because we pray wrong. You know? Your enemy can be here if you're shooting your, your whatever over here. I don't know what you're doing, but your back is exposed. That's worse. So now, when we got that news, of course we prayed, and then nothing happened. And the news started coming closer and closer. And the convoys, that means people were taken, going to the next camp. The convoy were going. And the last one, they basically said, the last convoy will be on a such and such day. We were like, Lord, we're standing in front of Red Sea now. We just need deliverance. One thing that I thought, now I'm looking back, I'm thinking, it's like we were basically thinking that God could deliver us within a span of a week or something, 
But we were also dreading going there because we didn't really believe enough that God would protect us even if we go to that place. You see, sometimes we miss that and we focus on what we want to happen. And we prayed, we prayed. This is actually the closest I, ever have, I have ever come to the end of the world as it's portrayed in videos. Imagine you in your community. Every single person migrates to somewhere else, but you hold the fort. You're still there. And the houses are broken down because people had to take their doors, they had to take their windows and everything to go because they're going to rebuild somewhere. And you stay. Every institution that you know, the schools and uh, uh, stores, everything, police department, it, there's nothing, no institution. Imagine you leaving, you have no neighbors, it's just you in a huge area. That's terrible. But we trusted that God would take us out. And then afterward, we're like, no, God is not taking us out. He has a different plan. We had to go. I was so afraid of going to the next camp because of I knew that the bonds were, were not that strong. There was some conflict. And I was like, if we go there, whatever is going to happen, that will break us will break us, God. Please, can you just take us out? But he allowed us to go. And once we got there, we spent four months. I can tell you the first month I was, um, I was farming. I was going to cut the trees down, to build a house. And I did all of those. I was working 12 hours a day. It's not like the job that you would lay back. Play, uh, I mean, work with the computer. Of course, you're using your mind, but this was physical. It's something different. But God, afterward, he got us out of that. In January of 2011, we received a letter. You can come now. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Last time when I shared this story with the elders and I, I was like, I still thinking, I'm still going through to think what God wanted us to learn through that. You know, we moved to a certain place for four months and then we go, why didn't we go before? <laughs> no, he was doing work in us. He was basically telling us that we shouldn't doubt him. Even in the situation that we see that that's tough. Trust him. Jacob was faced with this situation. He was going to face this old, old person, old foe that they, he had. He was going to face him, but he had to cast his hope on God. God basically stripped him of all sorts of armor. That's what God does in order to save a person. He strips you of any hope from anybody else, and then he brings you up. All the glories are his. Jacob went through a process during which God changed his identity, scriptures, tells us in Romans, I think it's working. Could you just move it, please? Thank you. Yeah, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 to 30, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to his image, uh, to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also 
glorified, to be conformed to his image. It is to be like him. Transformation is a process. We, we could give an example. I heard somebody give an example of this, but now we can't because the United States is adv advancing with technology. They have now planes that can just take off like this. But before, the planes would take off like this. And uh, transformation, the process of, uh, of sanctification God is doing, it's not like you lift up like that and then you're already there. No, it's a process. And you will go through ups and downs. And God will work in you in order to change your life. And then this is, this is the work that the Spirit is doing. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, God chose you, I mean chose you, to, uh, to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. There's the Word. There's Spirit working in us. Jesus prayed and said, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Sanctify them by your Word. So it's the spirit that is working in us. God is not done with you. If you thought that way, you are mistaken. He's not done with you. You might, be, you might have been here for a long time, several years in the church. But as long as you're still alive, there is work to be done. He's not done with you. He changed Jacob's identity. He has given you a new identity. But you and I are still undergoing Transformation. It is, our, it is to our advantage to yield as the Spirit convicts us in our walk. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. God devises glory with none. If you're still clinging to Saul's armor, he's going to strip you of that. While God is patient, according to 2 Peter, he is also patient. He is patient. According to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 until 9, the work he started in you will be done. Either the easy way or the easy way. You probably thought I would say the hard way. No. Either the easy way or the easy way because to him both ways are easy. A poem by... Margaret Alsaka, that captures our resistance to, handling, to handing over the rooms in our house to God and God's infinite patience in dealing with us. The poem is titled Covenant, and this is actually one of the books that we, we are reading with uh, the Thursday morning. I'm quoting from that, and it reads as follows. The father knocks at my door, seeking a home for his son. Rent is cheap, I say. I don't want to rent. I want to buy, says God. I'm not sure I want to sell. But you might come in to look around. I think I will, says God. I might let you have a room or two. I like it, says God. I'll take two. You might decide to give me more someday. I can wait, says God. 
I'd like to give you more. But it's a bit, a bit difficult. I need some space for me. I know, says God. But I'll wait. I like what I see. Hmm. Maybe I can let you have another room. I really don't need that much. Thanks, says God. I would take it. I like what I see. I'd like to give you the whole house, but I'm not sure. Think on it, says God. I wouldn't put you out. Your house would be mine and my son would live in. You'd have more space than you would ever had before. I don't understand at all. I know, says God, but you can't tell, I can't tell you about that. You will have to discover it for yourself. That can only happen if you let him have the whole house. A bit risky, I say. Yes, says God, but try me. I'm not sure. I'll let you know. I can wait, says God. I like what I see. What are you still clinging on? What are we still clinging on in our lives? When the Spirit of God is convicting our hearts, is telling us this is what you need to do. This is the way to go. Why are we still clinging to whatever we had before? Jesus doesn't come in your life to do a paint job. That means the house is still whatever it was. You just paint it over. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for this time. I am grateful for the grace that you have given us. Thank you for your word this morning. It nurtures my soul. It teaches me and leads me. I praise you for this congregation and the love that they have for one another. I pray that you sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth. Please help us to yield. Help us to be willing to yield. And the work that you started in us, you will get it done. We praise you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Thank you.